Lord, we give you thanks for this day of worship. Um, thank you for the weather, Lord. We receive it with gladness, and we wait with expectation for the warmth that will meet us as we um, uh, enjoy this day. But may we also experience the warmth of your Holy Spirit um, filling us and using us to worship you and to praise you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
sing His love endures. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for your everlasting love that endures forever. So this song is about every move we make, right? You got to move with this song, right? Whatever you want to do, just do it. Every move I make. Sing it again, every move. Every move I make, I make in you. You and me move, Jesus. Every breath I take, I breathe in you. And every breath I take, I take in you. You are my way, Jesus. Every breath I take, I take in you. Waves of mercy, waves of beautiful Southern California and uh, wherever we go we see God's creation around us and God's beauty but uh, the question is do we see God in those things as well and not like literally seeing you know the face of God or whatever but seeing his hand his fingerprints on everything in creation and and when you see that like when you see a sunset or, or a tree you know, do you, do you praise and do you worship God through that? Um, hopefully by the power and the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God speaks to you in, in all of his creation.
your face. I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up to the sky and say,
Ready? Morning. Morning. Everybody may be seated except the children. And the children can come on up here as we um, have our children's message on Family Sunday. Come on up, come on up. Okay, well, it's good to see everybody. Um, there are times in our lives when somebody does something for us, and somebody, maybe they, they give us a present, or they do something nice for us, and they are with your mom and your dad, and your mom and your dad say, what do you say? And what is it that you're supposed to say? Thank you. Thank you, right? They're always saying, well, what do you say? Say, well, you say thank you. Why do we say thank you? Why do you think we say thank you? Why do we say thank you, kid? Because it's nice. That's right. It's the right thing to do. Now, I have um, some cards here, okay? And what do these cards say? They say thank you, right? Just two simple words. Two very simple words. And, oh, let's see. There we go. It'll be up there in just a moment. So these two simple words, thank you, are two very powerful words. They tell somebody that you truly care about them, that it wasn't just the thing that they gave you that was important, but it was them. And there's a very important Bible verse that I want you to read with me, and it's right up there. Can you read it out loud with me? Let's say it together, and moms and dads as well. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you. I thank my God for Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ for you. The Bible tells us that the greatest thanksgiving that we can ever give is to thank God for somebody else. We thank God that he gave us somebody to love. We thank God that the person who gave us the gift, we're not as thankful for the gift as we are for the person who's given us the gift. But sometimes it's really good to even give a gift to somebody to say thank you. Um, who are people that you are thankful for? Your mom and dad? Who else? Siblings, good job. Who else? Family. Family, all right. Who else? Your sister. Oh, and you're sitting next to her. That's awesome. All right. We're thankful for people. Now, what kind of people are we thankful for other than family? Well, friends, okay. pets. We could be thankful for pets. God made pets. What else? Teachers. God, very good. Great, teachers and God. That's the perfect, your two sisters said the right thing. Because we have some teachers here who are gifts from God. And we want to recognize them today. And uh, we're going to start with our servant leaders. And so I'd like to ask for Herman and Ellie to come forward. We have her, we have better half. No, Herman? He's serving, of course. What else would he be doing, right? Okay, and then also Sammy. Sammy, come up. Hey, Sammy. 
And then also Michael Bosmeroff. So, so this one's for Herman, and this one's for Sammy. Okay, here comes Herman. And this one's for Ellie. And this must be for Michael. Okay. Well, stay here, stay here. Don't go anywhere. So they have been serving God for years and years and years. And they have been giving of themselves for all these children. And so children, these are your leaders. What do we say to them? Thank you. That's right. Congregation, what do we say? <laughs> and one of the greatest things, one of the greatest things we can do is we can simply say that we thank God for you because of all that you do and the lives that you've touched, um, the families that you've touched, and the generations that you've touched. Sometimes we have no way of knowing all that we have done or all that God has done through you until we get to heaven to see all the lives that have been changed. And so we want to give you thanks, and we also want to give thanks to those who have been those who have served with you. Um, so if you have taught Sunday school any time as a helper or a teacher in the last two years, would you stand up? Would you stand up if you have helped to teach Sunday school? Okay. Stand up, stand up. Okay. No, stay standing, stay standing. Don't be shy. Keep standing. All right, so if you have, been, if you have taught um, Sunday school or been a helper in the last two years, um, stand up and stay standing. And uh, we have some gifts for you as well. And um, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to have the kids come over, get the gifts, and go give it to somebody that's standing up. Okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all those who are standing and all those who have given. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us the privilege and the opportunity of worshiping you together and of serving you together. And so on this day, Lord, we want to thank you for each of these people. And we pray that we would be thankful people, that we would realize how much you've given to us and that ultimately our thanks belongs to Jesus who loves us. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, kids, would you go that way over and pick up a gift over towards Auntie Marissa? And they have a box there. Pick up a gift and go give it to somebody who's standing up and give them a hug as well. Okay, bye, kids. Is youth group staying? Youth group staying? Okay. All right, for those of us who are staying, let me first of all ask you to pull out the purple welcome card and as I do the announcements, uh, if you can start filling that out, but before I do the announcements, once the kids are gone, we can greet our neighbors. So let me ask you to stand up and greet your neighbors. All right, we're going to start with a special announcement. And I know I'm notorious for doing the announcements out of order, so Carol, I hope you can keep up with me. All right, Julia. Okay. 
I love summer. I love the vacations, the long days, the beach, road trips, and the list can go on and on. But unfortunately, during summer vacation, I also take a vacation from God. And so this summer, Cecilia and I want to be intentional about studying God's Word, and we want to invite you to be with us. Now, we're going to be doing a six-week summer study called Encounter by Beth Moore. If you've never done a Beth Moore Bible study, I strongly encourage you to do it. She just has a special gift of captivating and making God's Word come alive. So during our meeting, we're going to be meeting once a week, and we'll start with a video session, and then we'll share and discuss and pray. And then during the weekday, you'll have five days of homework that you get to go ahead and practice and dive into God's Word. Now, when we begin, we're going to go ahead and begin midweek of June. So that'll be June, the week of June 19th. And it's only six weeks, so it'll be June 19th all the way to the end of July. And you still have all of, summer, all of August for your summer vacation. We're going to have um, two sessions, one during the morning and also one in the evening to accommodate to the different schedules. Um, now, if you're going away and you're like, I want to do this study, but I'm going to be gone. It is summer. I, I encourage you to sign up because with technology, you can actually watch the video online. So in your hotel room, in another country, and you can do your homework and spend time with God and come on back and fellowship with us. Now, what is really neat is that um, there's something sweet and real about women gathering together in a community and fellowshipping that technology just cannot replace. So I encourage you to sign up and join us. What is Entrusted? This is what we're studying. Entrusted is a study on the second book of Timothy, and it's Paul's last letter to Timothy, encouraging him not to be ashamed of um, what he has been entrusted with. I'm going to read to you 2 Timothy 1.12. It says, I am not ashamed because I know the one I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So, don't take a vacation from God this summer. Come join us as we study Entrusted. I will, sign, I will have a clipboard out. So go ahead and sign up and click the days, or sign, not click, check the days that work um, either morning or day evening. And if you can do both, go ahead and check both of them. Thank you. All right, food, my favorite topic today, barbecue after church for the Honduras mission trip, so you can take a look at the announcement there, and also support our Honduras uh, mission team. They're going to talk to you all about it as you come and eat lunch with them. The poor tech team sitting in the back in need of help, so if you're interested in working with them, uh, they need your assistance, and they're happy to teach you and train you. Child dedication, which we do every year on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is coming up, my favorite day of the year, so please uh, let Curtis know if you've got any children that you want to dedicate to the Lord. Seniors will be having their Bible study, as usual, on Thursday, June uh, 8th, at 12.15 at Irvine Presbyterian, and Ron Lin is your contact person. Food! Grad party for the youth group coming up this Friday. So it's usually a good time. Uh, we invite the high schoolers and all of their family to come for a good time to talk about what they're going to be doing after graduation. 
Food! Men will be having coffee and donuts on Saturday, June 10th. You're getting the theme here? Okay, so um, come out and fellowship with the men and get fat with coffee and donuts. Prayer Circle, Wednesday, uh, June 14th at the Saikamis. And then Couples Garden will again have food. So come Friday, June 16th uh, to join us for dinner And you'll see the flyer, so you can take a look there about kingdom marriage. And definitely two are better than one. And then finally, summer retreat in which we will have food. So come, join us, uh, summer retreat, uh, put it on your calendar, August 11th and 13th. And I've already asked uh, my boss for the days off. So come join us. All right, if you can join with me, we're going to turn to the sermon outline and read the sermon passage for today, and I would like us to read it responsively. So if I can have this side of the congregation stand up and turn facing that side of the congregation, and let me ask this side of the congregation to stand up and face that side of the congregation, I'm going to ask the congregation on this side to read the odd passages and the congregation on this side to read the even passages. So, if you don't have a Bible, pull out a Bible. They're at the end of the aisle. We are going to be reading Romans chapter 8. So, if you can turn to Romans chapter 8. And again, the even side of the congregation. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Even side of the congregation. I'm getting mixed up now. Even side of the congregation will start with verse 18. So Romans chapter 8, verse 18. So if you can turn with me, and then the other side will read the odd verses to you, and then you'll read the even verses to them. So let's start. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Start with me. I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory For the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not only by its... We know that Not only so, for in this hope we were saved. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, And he who searches our hearts Let's all read verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for good. Those, those who have according to his purpose. All right, you may be seated. 
So as some of you know, I am a comfort care doctor. And so I deal with suffering at work on a daily basis. And on an almost daily basis, I tell patients and families that I cannot get rid of all of their pain no matter how much medication I give them because some pains cannot be relieved with medications. And so Curtis is going to take on the topic today of how the Holy Spirit helps us in our suffering. So give the time over to Curtis. So today, as Pastor Jerry said, is Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, it's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And what we remember on this day is the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples, empowering them to live the life that God made them to live. And often on Pentecost Sunday, we preach from the Acts chapter 2, which is the historical story of the Holy Spirit coming upon all the disciples. But this time, I thought I wanted to preach on something a little different, but still about the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are wonderful things that we need because of the goodness of the Holy Spirit. Other things that we might talk about if we talk about the Holy Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit and how God's Spirit gifts us and gives us the ability to serve one another or to care for one another. But today I want to talk about a very important ministry of the Holy Spirit that I know that all of us need. And some of us need it right now more than others. And that is the Holy Spirit who helps us in times of suffering. And I know that for some of us, this is a season of suffering. Some of us might say this has been the hardest year of our lives. Some of us might say this has been the hardest month of our life. Some of us might say even right now, this is the hardest week of our life. And maybe, and I don't know, there's somebody here, maybe who is suffering silently, who would say that even up to today, today is the hardest day of my life. We all are going to go through suffering at some time in our lives. We're all going to have grief. We're all going to experience weakness. God's Spirit is here for us. And what's interesting for us and important for us to understand is that God embraces our suffering. He doesn't erase our suffering. He helps us to embrace it. We want to erase it. But God lets the suffering remain for a purpose. And in that purpose, one of the things that God would have us to become is to become an overcomer. To become an overcomer. We can overcome our sufferings by learning how to embrace them and how the Holy Spirit will help us in this. And so today, as we have been reading already from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I want to share with us some ways that I believe that God is speaking to me and that God is speaking to us, and I hope especially to make it very personal that God today is speaking to you. And that in your heart and in your mind, you would be free to to allow yourselves to accept, to express, even to groan about your suffering. In verse 18, Paul says, I consider 
that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One of the first things we can do to become an overcomer in the power of the Spirit. Now, none of this we can do on our own. But in a way of becoming one with the Spirit, we can determine, we can make a decision. And this is what Paul is telling us to do when he says, I want you to consider as I consider. This word consider could also be translated compute. Paul is saying, I want you to think about this, that I consider that my suffering, that my present suffering is not comparable to the glory that God's going to give me someday. That there is some suffering that we're going through now, but there's going to be glory both as we go through the suffering and some glorious things that we'll experience along the way. But most importantly, at the end of our life, there's going to be a glory of being with God. And what Paul's talking about here is our attitude. And our attitude is built upon our perspective. If I think that things are just going to always be bad, my attitude's going to be bad. But if I have a perspective that says, you know what, at the end of everything, at the end of my suffering, there's glory, then my attitude should be much more positive. My attitude will be much more like what God wants. And so it's like Paul is holding up a scale here for us. And he's saying on one side of the scale is our very real suffering. It is any kind of pain that we're going through. It can be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It might be spiritual pain. Any kind of sickness or disappointment, problems with finances, relationships, work, frustrations about ourselves. There's a myriad of ways in which we suffer. And Paul is saying that God's people will experience this suffering. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have suffering. God wants us to know that there is suffering in this world. And we need to accept this. I think that we we do in our minds. But what God would have us to do, I believe, today is to accept it also in our hearts so he can use it in our lives. Well, the Bible tells us there are many reasons why we suffer. And the first one is sin. We suffer because there's sin in the world. Paul in Romans summarizes it this way. When he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see that Adam sinned. He was the first man. And when sin entered into his life, it entered into his DNA, and that DNA has been passed on to us, both physical and spiritual. And so sin is in this world, and we understand that, and and we, I think, accept that. We all know, for the wages of sin is death. We understand that this is why we suffer in this world. Second reason why we suffer in this world is because, and I think we also realize this, there's Satan. We have an enemy. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan not only causes some of our suffering, Satan wants to use our suffering. He wants to use our suffering to have us to turn away from God. He wants to use our suffering to have us turn away from other people. And so Satan causes and uses suffering in this world. Now those two things are definitely bad, sin and Satan. 
But the second two, or the last two ways in which we experience suffering aren't necessarily things we might always think about, but things that we, we need to be aware of. And the third one is self. We can cause our own self-suffering. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Remember, there are two other reasons so far, sin and Satan. So we don't want to necessarily like, berate ourselves that everything that happens to ourselves is because of ourselves. But in reality, if we make bad decisions, we're going to be having bad conclusions. And God wants us to make good decisions because that will give the best possibility to the right conclusion. But there are times when we know, like we say, oh, you know, I shouldn't do this. If I do this, I know I feel bad. And we do it anyway, right? And there are times where our conscience tells us that we're suffering because of the decisions that we've made. And so there are sufferings in our lives that we can't avoid. This is one we can't avoid. Are things that we do to hurt ourselves. Paul says to be aware of those things and to let our conscience guide us. But the Spirit will guide us. And I think this fourth one is the one that I think Paul is really focused on here in Romans chapter 8. And this is the one I think we think about the least. In fact, I think we may not even think about it that much at all. But you know, our suffering is also related to our salvation. Our suffering is related to our salvation and our spiritual transformation. That whatever suffering we're going through now, God still can use it to transform us into something better. God uses it so that we will become more like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When I was ordained into ministry, um, my parents gave me a bunch of money to do with whatever I wanted. And so what I did was I took the money and I went to a jeweler and I had him make me um, a gold ring. And the gold ring, it has a picture of the cross and the Holy Spirit. And it was a reminder to me of my call to ministry. And it's precious to me. I should have wore it today. Um, but it, but it, inside of it, I had engraved Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This verse. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When I entered ministry, I had no way of knowing what kind of sufferings there would be. There's different types of sufferings that we go through, all of us. And for God to call someone into ministry is a reminder that they have to endure sufferings. Why? So that we can share in those sufferings with others. But more importantly, so that we can know Christ. And for you, this is the exact same promise is that sufferings come into our lives so that, as Paul says in Philippians 3.10, we can become like him. Your sufferings, my sufferings, are so that we become like Jesus. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate 
in the sufferings of Christ. Again, our sufferings are related to becoming like Jesus. So then that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Similar to Paul in Romans 8. There is suffering, but there is also the promise of glory. And it is in this suffering that we are becoming more like Christ. We are being spiritually transformed. Peter goes on in chapter 5, verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, it may seem like our suffering is for a long, long time. And when we're suffering, the days just seem to go on forever. But Peter helps us to see in the scale of life, when we compare all the sufferings we go through and we compare the glory of God and we look at this time versus all of eternity, that our suffering is for a very short time. It will end. Our suffering will end. But in the meantime, there's going to be a byproduct in our hearts and in our lives that's going to happen from suffering. We are going to become strong, Peter says. We are going to become firm. We are going to become steadfast. And so Peter and Paul together are helping us to see that we can determine our attitude with this perspective. Peter Mockett, a pastor of Weymouth Baptist Church, says this, and I really like it. He says, our problem is not the problem. Our problem is not the problem, but how we look at the problem. Our problem is how we look at the problem. It's not the problem itself. And when we determine to have the attitude with God's perspective that he's going to use this for good, then we can become an overcomer. We have the right perspective. We have the right attitude. God is changing me. We can say, Lord, take my suffering and change me into the likeness of Christ. Throughout this message, I just want to take some brief moments of silence for you to try to absorb some of that. Just think, just maybe look at the verses that we've looked at, or just think of what Paul has said to us here. Think of some suffering maybe that you're going through right now. And can you say to God, Lord, use this to make me more like Jesus. Or maybe think, how is this suffering helping you to be more like Jesus? Let's just take some moments of silence to think about that. Paul goes on in verse 19, and he says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present moment. And then if you go to verse 23... It says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us us through wordless groans. I want us to pay particular attention to the word groan or groaning or groans. It's mentioned there three times. God allows us to groan. And in our groaning, God calls us to pray. My guess is that each of us prays more in times of groaning than in times of celebration. And God allows for us to groan so that we'll pray. He doesn't chide us for groaning. In fact, the word groan in verse 22, groaning, it actually means to moan together with others, to moan jointly. And who is moaning jointly together here? It is creation and it is man. That there is a suffering that creation experiences. If you remember in Genesis, what happened after Adam and Eve sinned? God created them and God put a curse upon the earth. And that this earth is limited now. It wasn't going to be all that it was made to be. That there would even be frustration, Paul says, on the earth. That the soil wouldn't be as healthy as it always should have been. That the weather would not be the way that it should be that there would be a groaning in all of creation. And the Bible personifies groanings of the recreation as if it were saying, I want human beings to be redeemed. I want man to be saved so that I can be returned to the way that God made me to be. I want to go through this. I want to become all that God made me to be, just like I want man to become all that man was made to be. But in the meantime, there's this groaning, but there's this hope. And this hope is that we are in the pains only of childbirth. Paul says that in verse 22, that the whole creation is as if it's in the pains of childbirth. I've had the privilege, I've had the joy of being there to see three of my children born. Um, I didn't experience any pain um, when my three children were born. Uh, but my wife groaned, okay? My wife groaned, and she experienced pain. And um, there's this one moment um, that we, we talked about with other young couples. It's called transition, okay? And it, it's in transition that the woman experiences amazing pain. And, and, and it's, it's something where they say things to you that you would never think your, your beautiful little wife would ever say to you, because they're in so much pain, right? And there's a book, um, a pretty famous book, written by Heidi Murkoff. It's called What to Expect When You're Expecting. And, um, and she says this. This is what transition is like. So for us guys to try to understand. Okay, transitional labor is the last, most intensive phase of labor. 
This last of three stages of labor can be a physically demanding and draining time, but it can also be, an exil- be, also be exhilarating. You may feel exhausted, impatient, and disoriented or overwhelmed. No matter what you're going through, hang in there. Baby's almost here. It's interesting that transition is also the time that we've sort of been using for what our church is going through right now. We've been talking about this for the past few months, the transitions of of Pastor Jerry going from full-time eventually to to part-time starting next year, the transition of our Pastor Ben leaving our church and and moving on, Um, the transition of my own moving on to another ministry in a few months. And, and leaving harvest. And for all of us, this is a time of transition. It's painful. It can be disorienting. It can be exhausting. We might feel impatient. We might feel overwhelmed. These are the realities of the pains of childbirth. And I want to encourage all of us that even though it is hard and even though transitions are painful, that the promise is baby's almost here. And we don't know when baby's going to get here. But we know baby's coming. And that God has a plan and that God has a purpose. And that though we are going through transitions, that just as creation is going through transition, the Bible says that the creation has an eager expectation. And again, it's personified. If you were to look up the meaning of the word, it means a head stretched out looking for what's coming. And this is what God would have for us, is that even though we are moaning jointly, we are groaning, but that we can expect that in this time of childbirth, in this time of transition, God's doing something new. God's doing something to lead to a new creation or a recreation in our midst. And to look at it with the hope, even in the midst of pain, that God is doing something good. Now, it's something that all Christians go through. As we read in verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. We groan. You know, and as you get older, you groan more, right? You just, oh, it's like, life hurts. And like things start hurting more. You didn't even know you had those places. Now they hurt. Well, it's a reminder to us of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where he says, now we know. That if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, the earthly tent is our bodies. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. We don't have a tent. We have a building. An eternal home, a house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Same word, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. All believers should groan. We should be looking forward to heaven. We should be groaning so that this body that is flesh, that is dying, that is hurting, is someday going to be renewed into a spiritual body that will have no pain, no tears. And that God is going to take away all suffering 
But in the meantime, all creation and all Christians groan. So there is this uniting of desires that we too would experience a new birth in our life, just as the earth desires a new birth. But who helps us in this? And what's so amazing is the Holy Spirit helps us in this. As we see there in verse 23, we as believers already have the Spirit in our life. Paul calls it in this place the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits represents that which is the beginning, like the first fruits of the seasons where the grapes come up and the people of Israel were supposed to give the first fruits of their, of their produce, the first fruits of their crops, the first fruits of even the, the babies that were born from the animals to God as an offering as love. The first fruits represents that which is of the best. God gives us the best of himself in the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the spirit not to wipe out our groaning, but to share our groaning. In the same way, the Bible says in verse 26, in the same way that the earth groans, in the same way that Christians groan, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes with us, intercedes for us with groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit groans with us. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit, who is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that's going to raise us from the dead, the same Spirit who knows absolutely that there is victory on the other side, the same Spirit who knows when the childbirth is going to happen, the same Spirit who knows all the glory that's going to happen, the same Spirit who knows there's absolute joy waiting for every believer, doesn't say, don't cry. He doesn't say, well, just buck it up. You know, just get stronger. Come on, it's going to get better. No, the same Spirit groans with us. The same Spirit experiences the pain with us. And what does he do? He does what we want other people to do with us and for us when we're hurting, and that is to pray for us. When we're going through a time of suffering, sometimes you know when the suffering is really, really bad, when there's nothing you can ask somebody to do for you except pray for you. Now, if your suffering is something where somebody can do something for you, that's wonderful. But there are times in life, there are times in my life when somebody says, what can I do for you? And literally, I, I can't think of anything that they can do for me except pray. I've been in a season like that. You've been in seasons like that where you're helpless. You can't heal the one you love. You can't save them from the decisions that they make. You can't help them because they're far away from you. You're not physically present. Certainly you can't make them do the right thing. There are times that things happen to those that you love that has nothing to do with their fault at all. They get sick. Maybe they even die. There are things that happen in our lives that, that we have no explanation for. And there's nothing that anybody can do to make that pain go away. And so when they say, what can I do for you? The only thing you can say is pray for me. Pray for me. 
And the Holy Spirit, who loves us so much, doesn't trivialize our pain by saying, hey, come on, it's going to get better. Just stop it. Stop complaining. It's going to get better. Just have faith. Just have more faith. The Holy Spirit doesn't say that. Holy Spirit doesn't say, you're suffering? Just have more faith. Holy Spirit says, you're suffering? I want to suffer with you. And I'm going to pray for you. And then God looks down, and he looks at the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he searches us for what the Holy Spirit is praying. What a wonderful God we have. What a wonderful God we have who will search us to find out what we need to give us what we ultimately desire. The Holy Spirit shares our suffering with us. He prays with us. I want to pause just for a few seconds so you can think about that. And again, just bring before God that suffering that you might be going through or somebody who you know is really suffering and pray for them, or pray for yourself for these next few seconds. Life is hard. We all face trials, and we all have habits of ways of dealing with things. Um, I'd have to confess that my, my go-to way of dealing with problems is usually like to mope. Right? Just, oh, poor me, you know. And, and just to start to have a pity party, um, to think it's all about me. You know? Why me? Why now? And to mope, and maybe you would, you would agree that maybe that's sort of your go-to first thing you think I mope. Um, the second thing that I sometimes try to do is just cope, just cope. Just like I'll hang in there, I'll do it, I'll try. No pain, no gain. You know, just that sense like I'm gonna be tough and we're gonna make it. Or I'm just like I'll just wait. I'm gonna cope. I'm not gonna do anything. It's gonna get better. Eventually, something's got to change. And 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 you know, or maybe go to the self-help you know, section of the, of the bookstore, read something online, you know, I can get better, I'll cope, we'll find a way. But ultimately, those two have never worked for me. Certainly moping doesn't work. And coping always has a dead end. But there is one other way that God would have us, and that is to hope. To not to mope and to not try to cope, but to truly hope. And to hope upon God's good purposes. There is a purpose in our suffering. There is a purpose in your suffering. And there is a purpose in the sufferings of those that you love. For in this hope, Paul says, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? 
But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's called you according to a purpose. God has a purpose in your life that he's going to fulfill. It includes suffering. And it is that suffering that God gives you a desire for hope. This word hope means to expect and to long. It is to desire something better for oneself. And Paul says, you know, but if you already had it, you wouldn't hope for it anymore. You ever notice that? You want something? You want a girlfriend? You get a girlfriend. You treat her really nice, and then after a while, you say, okay, well, you know, will you become my wife? Or it could be the other way, you would be my husband. And you go, yes, okay, well, that's really good. Let's do that. And then you get married. And then something strange happens, right? You stop being romantic. You stop doing all the things you did when you first met them to try to win their love. And you get a little lazy because you no longer have the hope. You already experienced the hope. You said, I do. And you thought, well, that will take care of everything. But it doesn't. This is what can happen in our own spiritual lives. We want something. And if God gives it to us, then we we stop pursuing it the right way. We stop losing that sense for hope. But when we don't have what we yet want, we continue to hope for it. And what Paul is saying something here very strong to our faith is that you're not going to get what you want. Everything. Until you die. Because it's only in heaven that we are going to get the fulfillment of our hope. Now that could seem kind of negative. That can seem kind of pessimistic. But what Paul is trying to teach us here is that when that is our ultimate hope, then we will gain the greatest hope possible on earth. It is by pursuing that which is beyond this world that we get the best of what's in this world. And so as we long for it, as we desire it, God builds hope in our lives and we become hopeful people even here on earth. We become hopeful that even the situations that we have, now we can have fortitude, now we can have strength, now we can do what Paul says, to wait. And this isn't kind of waiting when you're twiddling your thumbs and you're just hoping something good happens, but it's an active waiting. It's an expectancy. Again, it's a looking out that God's going to do something good. And therefore, I am patient. I have fortitude. I know that God's going to do something good. I'm waiting for God to do something good. If ultimately he's going to do something great in glory, then I believe that even now in the in-between time that God's going to do something great. And so I can live with certainty. I can live with confidence. This verse that we we all probably have heard in different ways at different times and we always need, is verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know with certainty that in all things, God works for good to those who love him for those of us who love him and for those of us who love those who are suffering there's a purpose we've been called and though we may not understand 
all that's going on. We can look forward with certainty and with hope that God is going to bring about a good purpose in this. I'd like us to just spend a few moments in quiet, trying to embrace the hope that God gives and the purpose that he has for our lives. To take this moment to just pray and say, God, I know, I believe that you are good and I love you and I believe that there is a purpose behind the sufferings that I see and the sufferings that I go through. Let's just spend a few moments in quiet there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that you share our sufferings through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to experience the power of the Spirit in our lives even as we suffer. Help us to experience the certainty. Help us to experience the patience, the perseverance. Help us, Lord, to experience the longing for that which is better. Lord, help us to know by the power of the Spirit that all things, all things are going to work out for good because you are good. Help us in these times, Lord, of transitions, of pain. Help us to believe. Help us to look forward to the future of being with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord with uh, <clears throat> giving back to God time. And I'm going to pass the bags around. And if you have that purple um, welcome card, you can just drop it in as it's going by. If you have any prayer requests, please, uh, you can list them there. We're going to close with a hymn. It's actually a prayer. So it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. May this song be a prayer that you pray this morning. Oftentimes we don't pray to the Spirit, but... Um, this is a kind of a prayer of request. And at the end of it, we're going we're gonna to tack on a little bit of um, St. Patrick's prayer. So today's not St. Patrick's Day. It's Pentecost Sunday. But we will pray this prayer together.
Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me, I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation.
Heavenly Father, as we conclude, what a wonderful way for us to be reminded of Christ in all of our lives, whether it be joy or suffering, that he is in us, that he is around us, that he is to my left and to our right, in front, behind, above, below. He is all. And we thank you, Lord, that in your love to us, we have a hope. We have a hope in this world, and we have a hope in the next world. We thank you for this, Father. We pray that your grace will continue to go with us in all ways because of Christ, so that the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with us always. Amen? And amen. Um, Please join us for our lunch as we go over to the uh, park and enjoy a time of fellowship and barbecue together.